Hey, this is Ross Baden with Roblin Public Radio. Uh, we're here with a special sort of roundtable discussion slash interview with uh, Caleb Stokes, Shane Ivey, and Greg Stolze uh, about No Soul Left Behind, the first campaign for Better Angels, uh, a game of demonic uh, supervillainy and charter school reform. Uh <laughs> Which is a very popular genre, subgenre these days, uh, so we thought we'd cash in on that. Um, so uh, we, uh, I figure we we could start out by talking a little bit about the creation, why uh, this is the first campaign for Better Angels. Uh, how did it come apart? Uh, how did it come together? Um, so Caleb, as the author, uh, how did you come up with the idea, and how did you pitch it to Shane? And Shane, how did you receive it? Once it... Uh, well, I, I pitched it to Shane uh, in a document that was too long, indicating things to come, uh, but a, <laughs> a very long uh, pitch document in which I broke down what I planned to do. Uh, the idea came up was pretty much right after I read Better Angels, uh, because I am an educator by trade. Uh, and so um, after reading the whole... Uh, the whole concept and the basic idea of trying to tear down the devil's house with the devil's tools, uh, my mind instantly went to public education. Uh, and then uh, as my professional career somewhat went into a bit of a free fall, uh, after I pitched it, I just got more and more material. <laughs> uh, and uh, as I said in the afterward uh, about the, the playtest campaign, it, it was very much, uh, I needed like the symbolic resolution of, oh, they're just infested with demons. That explains that behavior. Now I, ha I at least have a reason. I can ascribe some. It's rational comparatively uh, to the kind of stuff I'd been experiencing uh, at that previous school. Um, yeah, from, so from talking, to, talking to other friends of mine who are educators, it, it really feels like, it really feels like the American educational system is this sort of, boundless well of uh, fodder for horribly cynical ideas. <laughs> yes. so, well, you know, you know the old saying, Caleb, is God never closes a door without throwing you out the window. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, almost 300 pages. I'm sure it could have been it could have been, uh, you know, uh, uh, at least twice that length if, if I had at some point told Caleb just to shut up and let's make a book. <laughs> well, yes, very much. Um, and then I did, did I did tone it down because I, I wanted it to be satirical. I wanted it to be uh, still fun to play. Uh, so there, there are many things I, I I could have put in but left out. But I, I wanted it to be very much uh, a satire of education. Uh, I didn't want it to turn it in, into entirely into like a a problem campaign. I don't know. I'm not Ibsen or something. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, but this is, this is Caleb working out his issues with us. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't want it. I want. I wanted to be enjoyable. Game form. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I mean, You're that's not what the it first. Was, but I, I, yeah. I want listeners to know that I did take care to not make it just. You know, <laughs> Um, but, but we can, we can, we can. You can save up some of those notes for the sequel, Common Courts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Greg, when you wrote Better Angels, um, and uh, as a standalone game, did you um, like when you when you heard the pitch for No Selfian? What was your reaction? I mean, I can't imagine in your game. Your original game is you know focused on you know super villainy being you know bank robberies and. Uh, trying not to be, you know, I don't know. What was your reaction to it? It, it um, seems 
Well, my reaction was pretty accepting uh, because, I mean, A, I felt that, you know, I, I like Better Angels. I like how it turned out. Um, and so I, uh, you know, I didn't feel like it was going to be damaged in some way by someone taking off and doing something different with it. Um, one thing that I've gotten very, very used to over my, you know, game publishing career is that I am going to have one idea in the main book and write entirely from that perspective. And then someone else is going to come along and do something extremely different, but still great. And in my early days with Unknown Armies, I'm like, no, I, I, I sort of resisted that. I'm like, no, 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 that's, you can't do that. That's, it's bad, wrong, fun. And eventually I, I, you know, got over that in time for, um, well, let's see, what's the example? What's the one I'm thinking of? Monsters and other childish things. And I'm like, this is yeah. really, really a different take on the one roll engine, but it clearly works. And so, you know, I had confidence in Caleb having read um, No Security. And uh, so I'm like, okay, well, from a uh, creative artistic perspective, sure, let him let him do what he wants. If, uh, you know, this has inspired him and spoken to him, all the better. And, uh, you know, the, uh, so, you know, the, the, uh, the angel on my shoulder is like, oh, yes, be generous with your work, Gregory, and let him be inspired and let his imagination take flight. And then the devil on my other shoulder, you know, popped up and said, yeah, and a, uh, a campaign may also help move some units. So <laughs> whatever, whatever my best self and my worst self agree on something, I usually do that thing. Uh, nice. Um so, so left, left player and right player. <laughs> yeah, left, left player and right player. Um, so once you had this idea, Caleb, though, uh, for doing it, like the idea of making it a role-playing game, like it, it, it's sort of an unusual – it is unusual as, as a campaign idea because like you, you're, you're basing – it's based off a school year. And so you, unlike most role-playing game campaigns, which are like you must find the thing or stop the bad guy, it's a very – different model it's 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 a set length of time you know it's a school year and um there is a ticking clock in the campaign but the players don't know that but at first of course um i mean when structuring it how did it work for you i mean like how, how did you uh deal with some of that issues of this kind of unusual campaign structure i think um well i i my initial idea was like it's going to be uh, Mask of Nyarlathotep for Better Angels. You know, it's going to be totally non-linear. You know, how every campaign book starts until you realize how freaking difficult that is to do. Uh, so then I, I pared it down to being sort of linear. Uh, and I don't explicitly say that every adventure in there is a month of the school year, but it is uh, it, it pretty much how I thought of it because I didn't want to nail it down in terms of time and not let people do like side games because so much about the so much about the book is about like side plots and you know things that your humans doing, things that your mortals doing, uh, and those not syncing up. But if if you look at the book from uh, an educational perspective, uh, a lot of the stuff happens around the time that happens in the school year. So the standardized testing adventure happens 
uh, around February uh, in a school year. And yeah, everything kind of matches up uh, month for month. And then it ends on a Labor Day. So, you know, you got, you know, it, uh, it ends on a Memorial Day. I mean, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I figured that'd be the best way to do it because it does kind of depend on what you're, where you're at in the school year based on, you know, what you're, what you're doing with the kids and what's going on politically. Um, and I really wanted to emphasize with the charter school angle, uh, I, I want to be clear. I didn't pick a charter school cause I wanted to pick on charter schools. Uh, I, I, when I wrote the charter school description, I'm like, well, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's both simultaneously the worst of, and the best of education, depending on where you end up. Um, but I did the charter school thing because I wanted to emphasize the, you know, the political machinations behind public school reform because, you know, that that's the locus of all local politics, right? Right there. Your high school is where the parents talk about who they're voting for, about what they're going to vote about. It's where people canvass. It's where people, yeah, it's where uh, community events are. It's a huge uh, community welfare program. If you're talking about who, all the people they're feeding and all the uh, adult education stuff going on after school closes and the sports and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that, that is your, that is your locus of most, you know, political action, uh, at least in the United States. Uh, Cause I, I don't know a lot of people who are, you know, part of the electorate or, you know, voting, you know, something like that. So uh, I really wanted to emphasize that. So that's why I went uh, on that charter school angle. And then I went with the months of the year because that kind of hooks it to the political calendar. So. Well, and it's also okay. easier. The charter school angle makes it easier for GMs who aren't educators or aren't hired by a school district that, you know, it's because charter schools allow for a lot of, uh, individuation and experimentation and not being in the mold of the, you know, typical regulated high school. That's kind of the whole, the whole point, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, charter schools are basically, well, what do you want it to do? As long as you get the charter approved, it doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> so, that, so that gives the gamers a lot, a, a lot of leeway to just sort of make up the procedural stuff however they really need to within some basic parameters without feeling like, well, that's not how a real school works. And I, I didn't we're say doing it, it raw. <laughs> and and I didn't I didn't say it in the book, but I was also like I wanted to be you make your own setting kind of stuff. Uh, but I also wanted to be I know a lot of gamers that have a uh, tortured relationship with their educative years, uh, and and they're somewhat resentful towards it, uh, either due to teachers or administration or uh, the way other kids treated them. And I didn't want it to be like turning kids off and like we're going to relive the worst years of your lives at the gaming table kids uh i i wanted it to be like oh we'll make it your own thing you know it's fencing high school it's role-playing game high school it's video game high school whatever you want it to be all of those things exist in the charter school space because you know it's what you can politically get away with not what is you know said to be part of the curriculum um so yeah and if and when people do that they fight harder to save the school like that's another big thing that they have to be creating it from the ground up and the city from the ground up because uh i really i really you know murder hobism is the way you die in better <laughs> like you can you can get punched all you want but when you behave like a player character that's what sends you to hell and so i wanted something to encourage them not to be uh player characters but at the same time you know, if being a murder hobo helps out the thing that you're morally motivated by, I wanted to there be a reason to be 
you know, sociopathic and, you know, you're doing it for the kids. You know, you're, you're a sociopath in the right direction. You kind of delude yourself that way. So, um, so as you were writing the campaign and sort of playtesting it, um, obviously some changes happen. I mean, like Shane, what, what were kind of some of the things that sort of like got revised along the way or like what, what didn't, you know, uh, I, I imagine playtesting sort of played a role. And I know we have, of course, the, there's the RPPR uh, playtest campaign of No Soul Left Behind, uh, The Spared and the Spoiled. Uh, but, uh, I mean, that was actually one of the first things. It was originally called The Spared and the Spoiled. Uh, so Until they rightly know, what... told me that was the worst title ever. And so <laughs> I'm sure something somewhere has a worse title. <laughs> Thanks, Greg, uh, for the save there. Uh, but, Shade, uh, what was the question? Um, well, what changed along the way uh, as oh, Caleb was well, actually I mean, copied, there was, like, there was, aside from the title? Yeah, I mean, there was that whole uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me subplot that Caleb had in there that we made him. No, I'm just kidding. There wasn't. <laughs> um, the yeah, puppy dog buffet had to go. <laughs> the uh yeah I, I you know i don't it doesn't feel like a lot of things really radically changed we i know i know we wound up adding material here and there which is why it's a lot longer than we initially promised people it would be um but that was just because there I, if i remember right there were there were some some things that were kind of hinted at that really needed some breathing room to have the right impact that kind of thing so um i don't remember any anything really drastically changing as a uh, we ended up adding greg stuff that he was writing on the website a lot I yeah really we, wanted... added, we added that material that greg did yeah that's right yeah greg's powers uh, and aspects like i asked if i could refer to him because there was a you know that utmost foulness. I want people to be, you know, I'm a shoggoth now. Do, 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 running down the halls. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to include all that stuff. And originally, eventually, what shoggoths sound like too. Actually, actually, Bill in our playtest is in a barbershop quartet, and he took that power. So I think there were actually multiple times where we had a shinging singing shaga yeah. uh but, but anyway uh i was referring to it and it was basically like go look these up on the internet and play right. test people were like i don't want to do that <laughs> yeah. uh and and that was fair so we uh i think it's a much better book for it and because now it's basically every power and aspect in the game like the stuff i added the stuff greg added yeah it's all, and and that changed uh that wasn't in the original plans yeah Poor yeah, players were probably was, like whoa 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 no but the last five years my gm has spent punishing me for looking stuff up on the internet during <laughs> no way yeah <laughs> i know a trick when i see it um well you mentioned things that you added because it needed more bre- uh, needed more space in the uh, uh campaign like what were some of the things you found out that you kind of needed more of uh, well, as, as we play tested, I, I realized that your guys is I initially didn't have it all written out, but like the the subplot sections where you guys just engage with your own family members and your own friends mm-hmm. at the school and stuff like that. As it exists now, it's pretty much 50 50 uh, plot hooks for you to get tangled up with individually in your character. And then you drag other characters along either as your demon or as help or as other characters in the scene. And then 50% like the core story 
of like whatever fallout from Triskiadeka is happening that week. Um, and I, as we play tested, I realized that those subplots were like what was what was getting people more invested in the main story than anything else. Like the that early part of every session we played. Uh, where you guys were like your character was dealing with his kid at school, uh, going to the school with all the demonic happenings going on, and then char- and David's character was being horrifically evil, and then uh, Sarah was you know uh, abusing her husband, uh, <laughs> which was telling. Uh, but yeah, that was really getting people. Uh, invested in uh, their characters and stuff. So a- as I wrote, uh, I expanded the subplot section and the foreshadowing section quite a bit from my initial notes and, and focused less on the, the linear main plot. Uh, yeah. So, so Caleb, speaking as uh, I am, I have, I have not actually listened to all of the, uh, the record, the campaign recordings, but so I'm curious, did, um, did you have any of a challenge getting your players as invested in the subject matter as you were? Uh, n- not particularly. The only person I had trouble <laughs> was maybe Sarah, who who is also a teacher. Uh, the the non teachers were okay, but I've known I've I've play tested for groups at cons and stuff where the teachers are like. I, I, I always think of it like in the Dresden Files books. Harry Dresden is part of a and d group, but he refuses to play a wizard because like, uh-huh. <laughs> he wants to be a dumb barbarian. He doesn't want to do spells. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I, I kind of I, I did that. Um, so I guess something that changed in playtesting, too, was that I expanded the stuff you could be. My initial idea was you were all just teachers, but I also wanted to make sure you could be kids or janitors or, you know, superintendents or legal counsel or whatever you know because it's a school like it, it, it employ hundreds if not thousands of people if you have a district so mm-hmm. uh, with various jobs so that that's another thing that kind of changed uh, and I and ever since I added that I, I haven't had as much trouble getting people invested because you know if they want to do John Hughes with demons there's a place with that and then if they want to mm-hmm. do the whole you know educational uh, you know, problem piece stuff that that's in there already too. So that that's how I typically got investment in. I just expanded the cast of characters and, and what they could do. So, yeah, so, okay. yeah. If you want to be the lunch lady and not have to worry about or, or you know kitchen staff and not worry about coming up with lesson plans and you know dealing with students' emotional crap yeah i can see how that would uh that would appeal to a lot of players yeah but then i actually had that so like in one of the con games i did that in the subplot i had jamie oliver come so like shitting all over your department for poisoning your kids with pink slime you're a monster causing the obesity epidemic and making all the children die a bit and like just making you look like a horrible shrew that poisons kids for her. and so like what do you do with that do you set jamie oliver on fire do you magically <laughs> uh sabotage his camera equipment do you steal some money units so that you can you know serve lobster and you know kale to all the kids all day <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so free yourself well. from the economic constraints of actual education, and then that's that will at least the investment because, like, I want to play the lunch lady, 
and maybe that character concept starts with I don't want to get embroiled in the stupid politics stuff, but then you have that subplot, and like that's a subplot that only your character could have. Yeah, no, so no, we'll, we'll find ways to screw your character over too. Don't worry. Yeah, and you'll you, be special. You don't have to care about the stupid politics. The stupid <laughs> politics care deeply about. Yeah. Well, also speaking of like, uh, I mean, now that you've run it for like multiple groups now that cons and other things and i'm sure shane you've had a lot of uh playtesters who've sent in their reports and um have there been sort of any unexpected like like what the hell happened like how did this how did we get here because uh, i know caleb you mentioned one game in which the players basically kidnapped kanye west uh is that east. yeah remore east sorry uh the the equivalent uh <laughs> So, I mean, like, I mean, that's, I think for me is when I write something, it's very, I always love it to hear when people are doing something unexpected with it. So, um, Greg was talking about that earlier. So, Caleb, has that happened to you yet? Yeah. So, I was surprised at, uh, by the gender parity at the con. I had, uh, I had as many female gamers as men, which was rare for me. Uh, and I find that ladies are much better secret supervillains than guys are. Uh, so when they kidnapped Kanye West, half of them were hostages and the other half were the actual supervillains. Uh, and they, so the hostages were the ones primarily doing, uh, the, you know, hostaging work. They were sabotaging the SWAT team by making their weapons disappear or turning them into jello and stuff like that. Um, another con game, they ran the, uh, they, they, they robbed the national gold reserve, which was really funny. Uh, <laughs> Because they're like, is the National Gold Reserve in Kirby? I'm like, sure it is. Of course. Everyone knows that. Um, and uh, they wanted to steal more gold. So they, they took the character with alchemy who turned all the gold into sponges. <laughs> so they could carry more. Uh, and then they carried, they only took about half of it. And then uh, one of the ladies is like, well, we dumped the rest in the river. And I'm like, why? It's like, well, well, we'll create scarcity. And so the gold we do sell, we'll sell at a higher price. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, that is, that is evil. Like, so, like, gold markets collapsed overnight. and like, yeah, that's, we, some, that's some solid James Bond kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I want, yeah, so in terms of, like, surprises for the playtest, uh, yeah. I was surprised at, like some of the sophistication and some of the supervillainous plan, especially considering my initial playtest group with Ross, <laughs> they were not known for their planning. <laughs> no. Uh, my character was not a wise man. Uh, he, I, and to be fair, I owned up to it. I was like, uh, it became I, part of your arc, but initially you yeah. were just like the worst. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Greg, did you hear the story of uh, the brewery incident? Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so yeah, uh, irradiating a brewery by mistake. Uh, not my character's finest moment. Well, was uh, this another mistake with alchemy? Uh, yes, yeah, alchemy is a... a, a See, I blame myself for that. Because as, <laughs> as I, I think you did tell me about this, and I went back and looked yeah. at it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure, you know, it's been a couple of years since I wrote it, but I'm pretty sure you were only supposed to be able to turn things into gold. Oh, and if it had been wow. clear that that's all it did, and you know you couldn't yeah. turn things into degenerate matter, then um, <laughs> it might have have been a little little better off. I don't yeah. I don't regret it at all. Uh, <laughs> he, he did turn a policeman's arm into weapons grade uranium. 
for an hour. <laughs> it wanted, it just had to be glowy, and so my character just, you know, I figured something glowy would scare everyone else. And so, uh, and that uh, would, well, the yeah. initial playtest took place in St. Louis, so you, <laughs> you basically irradiated Anheuser-Busch, so it had to be bulldozed to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and full, filled up with concrete, uh, which caused, you know, mass panic and hysteria in the city because, oh, God, the beer. Uh, but, yes, uh, it worked out. Then you turned that one lady's garage door into thermite once. Yeah, that was true. Uh, and yeah. then she, we're, we're somewhat alarmed when she used two super valves to try and kill you. Uh, yeah, uh, you're like, wait, what did I do? It's like you burned down <laughs> her house. You... <laughs> People hate that. Yeah, they really dislike that. <laughs> but to be fair, she was using superpowers on my son, and so I was just mad about that. She was trying to help him read. Yeah, well, his eyes were bleeding, and that <laughs> well, wasn't... you know, there's a price to be paid. Yeah. So, Ross, are you? Are, do you rent or own your home? <laughs> uh, I yeah, I rent. So, See, this yeah. is this is what you don't have people. When you've paid yeah. for your house, you get super touchy about it. Back, back me up here, Shane. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I don't have any any damn super coming around helping me take care of things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I just had my air conditioner replaced for free, so yeah, that was nice. Um, yeah. No, so yeah, no. Imagine I, I, if nobody would come around to repair your air conditioner or anything else ever, <laughs> and you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, so you can understand, yeah, I think that's one of the appeals of Better Angels is that you, like, it's, it, you can easily see how your character can, you know, become, slide to that path of damnation because, like, it, it gives a way to where the evil makes sense, you know, like, oh, she, she hurt my son, I'm going to get revenge on her. her. Oh, he, he burned down my house, I need to get revenge on him. Mm-hmm. And the cycle of darkness, you know, continues or this, you know, spirals out of control. This control. is, you know, this is just human nature is things escalate fast and everybody uh, thinks that they are doing a proportionate response. And, you know, from your perspective, it's a proportionate response. And from the other person's perspective, it's an escalation. So they do what they think is a proportionate response, and to you it looks like an escalation. They've actually done psych studies on uh, people where they have them. They're like, okay, so hold out your hand, you know, test subject A, hold out your hand, test subject B, slap test subject A on the hand as hard as you are willing to be slapped. Okay, now test subject A, slap test subject B, exactly as hard as you think you were slapped and consistently test subject a slaps b much harder than b slapped a and if they cycle this it just gets worse and worse and worse (laughs) so your 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 empathy uh margin of error Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, you know, the, the psychological equivalent of this is that everyone is, is always much kinder in their judgments of themselves than they are in their judgments of other people because we judge ourselves by our intentions and by what we wanted to have happen, and we judge other people by what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, was that some of the thinking that went into the creation of better angels too? No, that's or... just what I, that's just what I've seen in life. Uh, <laughs> what went into the creation of better angels is, uh, how can I encourage people to act like silver age comic supervillains? And, you know, how can I make 
those crazy plans of, you know, oh, we'll just rob Fort Knox and dump half the gold in the river. How can I make that, you know, a reasonable uh, uh, course of action, something that a sensible person would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, um, that makes sense. That's a, that's a good thing to do. <laughs> uh, and, you know, part of it, I think, just arises from if you give people is that power corrupts and, uh, you know, goofy power corrupts goofy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, I've put a few questions up to the RPPR group me, um, and which started during Gen Con is still going on. Uh, so uh, one question that sort of came up is what question inspired the uh, if your players reject the core concept of the setting sidebar? Uh, so why does it have to be about supervillains uh, in a school? Uh, and you have a sidebar for that, right, Caleb? Uh, I don't know if I put a yeah. sidebar for that one. Uh, that's uh, just that was, that's my uh, that was my first uh, experience with extensive playtesting, and that was the only comment that kind of like blew my mind <laughs> that I never saw like, coming. Should uh, we put a sidebar in here of what if you want to play this but without any of the anything that makes it its thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we did that. I put in a lot of sidebars for like... Um, what you know, page not, is that on, Shane? <laughs> I put uh, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think we... I, no, well, we, this we is, that was from it. Matt from uh, the uh, Drunk and Ugly podcast. I did mention uh, it uh, in, yeah. in, in, in some podcasts uh, in that, you know, that seems ridiculous. Uh, I, I did put in some stuff about, like, realism and uh, maybe not going too far with that. So uh, there's a brief note on killing children. Uh, don't. Uh, that's the sidebar. <laughs> um, and then there's... Uh, the thing about the gangs in the inner city of Kirby and uh, not wanting to have to descend into racism or sexism or uh, anything like that. Uh, so, so. Uh, yeah, un unfortunately, in, in reality, if, if you're in a group where that's going to that's where it's going to go, then your sidebar is not going to do much good. Yes. Yeah. But I, I wanted it to be clear that, you know, my sidebar is there. And that's right. Right to do i mean like so yes uh, i think that's it's kind of like in uh in, with with our game godlike um when when we published will to power way back in the day uh about about nazi germany supervillains dennis made a put in a really big sidebar saying you may be tempted to play the uh the ss as as your player characters and if you do you're an idiot <laughs> nice <laughs> Yeah, mine was basically like, yes, it is true that if you're an inner city gang, uh, you're likely defined by, you know, ethnicity or immigration nationality. But you know what also isn't is true is that most people don't have eyes, lasers and superpowers. So don't, right. you know, if diverse, if you can handle like flame hands, but your game breaks under diversely staffed criminal organizations, uh, <laughs> then you have I deeper problems. To tell you in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing that um, you say, you know, what if we want to play this but take out everything that makes it what it is, is um, the and, – and you run into this in every game. Uh, when uh, I, I remember uh, working on World of Darkness stuff and it's like, okay, so how? what is our, our advice to storytellers for the player – who develops a character whose whole shtick is, I don't want to get involved in your crazy adventures. 
And, uh, you know, what, what I've tried to do with, uh, you know, Delta Green is just write everything from the perspective of this is happening. You are fated to have this encounter. It's a Lovecraftian universe with predestination and no free will. So you're gonna see the Shoggoth. The question is whether you're gonna be prepared to see it and maybe, you know, have your running shoes on so you can get away you know, so that you can be in the front half of the group that doesn't get eaten. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there is, to be there is a bit, uh, on page 15 talking about, it gives uh, 14 and 15, giving the players, why a charter school? Uh, why not a regular school? And, or the players could say, screw that. Why great essays all night when they call the freaking moon hostage? Um, and so I think that's sort of what Matt was referring to. Uh, if you want to look at that, oh, but um, I, already, yeah, yeah. I did add something specifically for the first scenario. So there, there were some, there were some people in the playtest uh, arguing like railroading and stuff on the first scenario. So I did add some stuff like, yeah, uh, you need to get superpowers for your superpower game. <laughs> That's <laughs> going to happen to all your characters. It's the basis of the concept. So. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, when, I'm when gonna players... leave, we'll arrive at the station, and then you can go where you want to go, but you, you, you're yeah. going to get on the... And I, I think I made a Judd Nelson joke. Yeah. <laughs> Let me search the yeah, file I mean... for Judd Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's entirely also, possible uh, that players will, will get their powers at the school and then collectively decide... Um, you know, I'm not going to use these powers to save this dumb school. I'm going to go do something else. And in that case, that's great. Then you've got a Better Angels campaign. It's not this Better Angels campaign, but, yeah. you know, go and, you know, go and be merry. Or, or you could still go do other stuff and then you have to go back to the school because it's competition <laughs> or it's, you know, everyone's starting to realize, you know what? Every month some horrible superhero fight breaks out in this one high school. Maybe we should start looking for the the fiendish fives, you know, identities amongst the the popular, you know, like are the brands yeah. of justice come down on your ass and try and murder you for money, like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there, there's but most mo most role playing campaigns. Pretty soon, you get to the issue of the adventures this away. So if you don't want to go this away, then 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 that's fine. But that's not where the adventure's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh... I guess it is okay for you to look up stuff on the internet on your phone after all. Oh, and the Jen Nelson <laughs> joke is on page 85. <laughs> um, another one uh, question is, uh, this is from Sam. Uh, what was about the pitch that made it appealing for Art Dream to publish? So, uh, Shane, what, what about No Soul Left Behind? Was it Caleb's passion or... Uh, <laughs> Um, it was, it, it, it was, it was partly that, you know, I mean, I, I, I tend to respond and this has been a very consistent thing from the very beginning. I, I tend to respond to projects that are, that, that are really driven by a, a creator's strong vision of, of the thing. Um, and so uh, and and this absolutely fit the bill. I mean, that was that was the whole reason that we had uh, monsters and other childish things to begin with um, was just because Ben had this this vision that was really kind of 
coherent, you know, and it made sense within itself. And also it was very clever and funny. And he had an approach to using the rules that was different and new. And so it, and, and it was something that I hadn't, I hadn't seen before. And, and so it really just sort of gelled together. So I just encouraged him to keep writing. And, um, and, and that's, I mean, that's one reason that, that I that I encouraged Greg to to go at uh, Progenitor as well, right? Progenitor is this massive book, and and if I if we another were... thing that was meant to be small and became immense, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and I mean, if I had any sense at all as a publisher, then I would force everybody to just do things that are 128 pages. <laughs> and, uh, and then and then have sob stories later about what we had to cut for length, but uh, <laughs> but I don't because I I tend to respond to what people are really really passionate about when there's a little spark in there or a big spark or a blazing fire of of uh, of inspiration in it, and so uh, and so yeah, no soul left behind kind of fit the bill because because Caleb had this really great vision that was kind of informed by his by his experiences and so he could speak to it with some authority but at the same time recognize the humor and the sort of mix of humor and tragedy that drives no soul left behind uh fitting those within a superhero thing which what which is what makes no soul within which is what make better angels rather um its own unique thing is it's not mm-hmm. just a superhero game it's not just a supervillain game it's a supervillain game that has this sort of this this broad i don't know it, it sort of has this 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 mesh of the of humor and tragedy and the potential for for awfulness that'll take the humor totally off the rails if uh, if you don't go in the right direction which makes it surprising and suspenseful and interesting to me. And so, uh, so Caleb clearly kind of had a sense of that, of, of, uh, and of approaching things from that perspective. So, so yeah, I just, uh, I just, I just, you know, we had, we had better angels out and, and I was happy to hear the idea behind it. So mm-hmm. I pretty much immediately told him, um, as soon as we started talking about it, yeah, we need to, we need to write this by which I mean, you need to write this. <laughs> uh, fair <laughs> enough. Um, there's another one from Matt from The Drunk and Ugly, and he wants to know, Caleb, how many supervillain names did you get through before just making one of them Harold? <laughs> uh, he's my Lovecraft stand-in. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, uh, I, I didn't I didn't just give up there. I just wanted a character that was just obviously H.P. Lovecraft. So, as it says in the books, he lived with his aunt. Uh, he sort of tragically socially and awkward <laughs> um so yeah uh I, I now don't get me wrong i've started running out of superhero names very quickly uh but, <laughs> well, but yeah, with, with harold the the idea with harold if i remember right was was not that he couldn't have come up with a supervillain name he just didn't care <laughs> yeah he had no life to protect so he needed no uh, yeah. he needed no uh all, all you know alter ego because uh, he just kind of, I think he's the only member of Triskaidecka who wasn't recruited. He just showed up one day. <laughs> he just showed up at one of the heists and started helping out. <laughs> Which is not unlike how things sometimes turn out with uh, game publishers, right, Shane? You know, someone's just like, oh, 
suddenly there's this person I don't really know doing all this work on my game because it <laughs> it spoke to them. Yeah. I'm, I'm, okay. Uh, if if I have a stand-in in the campaign, it's probably grammar Nazi. Uh, I, you know, if I was in my own campaign, I would probably end up being that character uh, with the bodice and every at all. So, uh, well, I mean... you know, what I do at home is my own business, yeah. Ross. Uh, but uh, no, definitely with the I'll just brainwash the kids into reading it. Uh, you know, something I've been tempted to do before, but lacked the superpowers. <laughs> uh so yeah you will enjoy the layers of uh of meaning and history in beowulf Kitchell. <laughs> yes or else yeah. uh so mr a's uh mind control of the debate club seems is the most rational motive out of all the original playtesters uh, is what you're saying so uh, <laughs> yeah mr. Uh, a. i mean it that's something what I... you mean by rational motive um <laughs> you know Rational in the sense of, yes, it totally makes sense that a person would do that. Probably it's highly rational. Rational in the sense of it is a logical way to pursue the common good. No. <laughs> but that's not well, what rational really means. Right, right. Rational from that person's perspective. I mean, you know, um, it makes sense to them. Um yeah, and speaking of like the grammar Nazi, she is one of the characters that has art, uh, and that's why I was looking at it. Um, the uh, Shane, we got you got a really great artist for uh, this book. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, it's yeah. it's two, yeah, yeah. two yeah two illustrators, Kurt Komoda and yeah. Brett Barkley, who who both yeah. did, um, better angels as well. Um. Yeah, they uh, did a knockout job, I have to say. Uh, especially, I think my favorite piece of art is the uh, on page eighty-one, the big bads, the political advisors, because uh, the normal people. And uh, I think I'll probably use this as the art for the show uh, for this uh, <laughs> episode. Um, was uh, were they like in terms of the art note? You know, like giving them art direction. Uh, did you kind of give them a free hand, or were they pretty? Uh, I don't know. To, uh, to, to some extent, it was it was um, with better angels and uh, and with no soul left behind. Um, we, I wanted the interior illustrations to be kind of complementary and and to and to not contrast with each other too much in tone and in the approach to things. And so um, so I, I took a lot of steps with both books. To sort to, to try to divvy up who got what illustration and to figure out who which of the artists was kind of better suited for which illustrations. So um, so the the so for the most part, um, this is this is doing them both a horrible disservice to generalize like this. But for example, the the illustrations that I knew needed to be kind of over the top funny. Um, usually I'd send to Kurt because he just has a flair for that. And, um, and Brett's illustrations tend to be a little more precise, a little more kind of comic book quality almost. And, uh, and so that kind of thing would inform who I got to do what, but, but I also sent both of them, uh, you know, I, I kind of had com made sure that they compared, um, compared styles and compared images 
and uh, and they were really cool about about corresponding with each other during the projects as well, especially during Better Angels. It wasn't really as necessary with No Soul because by then they both knew what they were doing with this with this um, game line. So, um, but with Better Angels, they kind of corresponded with each other as well as with me to work together to uh, to make the to make the art kind of gel. And uh, and when I picked the when I was picking the artists, that was that was the number one thing was. Um, uh, was I wanted I wanted illustrators whose work would fit together well within the same book without it being sort of a jarring transition in in look and feel from one page to another from one section to another. Mm-hmm. On top of this, it, Better Angels was the first time I had worked with either one of them, but they both came really well um, recommended from other publishers like Evil Hat, Fred Hicks, and I go way back and correspond occasionally, the, even still. So, um, but he had recommended I think both of those both of those guys from past work that they'd done with Evil Hat, and uh, yeah, and they turned out fantastic. I mean, originally Todd Shearer was doing the did the original art for the Kickstarter previews for Better Angels way back in in the day, and Todd had done all the work for Wild Talents up till then, but um, but at that point, like two things happened. Number one. Greg decided kind of early on in playtesting Better Angels that it wasn't going to be a wild talent source book. It needed to be its own rules set. <clears throat> and then number two, Todd had all Not kinds of soon enough. Yeah, Todd had a, but Todd had all kinds <laughs> of other things on his plate, so he wasn't going to have time to do like all the illustrations for the book. So. Um, so, so that's when I decided to sort of reach out and find uh, alternate illustrators. But anyway, so that's how I got Brett and Kurt, and uh, and they were amazing. And I'm absolutely thrilled with the work they did. And yeah, we've got Kurt now doing an entire card game for us that we're working on. Which card game is that, Shane? It's uh, it's called WrestleNomicon. Oh, yeah, that's the uh, the. Uh, great old ones from the Cthulhu Mythos, uh, wrestling. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's sort of it's sort of like uh, Lunch Money meets World Wrestling Federation meets um, the Call of Cthulhu. You're yeah. seen the Another one, seen the one where like Cthulhu is stabbing someone with the Eiffel Tower or yeah. something. Yeah, like that. yeah. 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 Oh, it, it looks amazing. Kurt's. Yeah, it's, it's very it's it's very goofy and kind of over the top. And that that game, I mean, that, that's a whole other podcast, but. That like Dennis and I originally started batting that game around in 2001. I think it was one of the first projects we we came up with. But um, but doing cards were was so expensive back then that we just immediately put it on the back burner. Because when am I going right. to have twenty thousand dollars in the bank? You know. Um, and uh, but yeah, these days it's POD cards are so much more feasible that it's. Uh, we sort of realized a year or two ago that that was something we could actually we could actually do. Nice. So yeah, cool, cool. Um, so uh, and I know we mentioned this before. Well, um, that better or the No Soul Left Behind has a lot of uh, new rules material in it. Um, uh, Greg, you also talked about how, oh, wow, other people are not working on my game. This is awesome. Uh, so, uh, the results of that, like, I really like the, uh, devilish rule or, you know, uh, was it layers, um, rules. I mean, what, any, any reaction to what Caleb came up with for No Soul Left Behind? Well, they don't Uh, feel like, 
drastic reinventions of the rules so much as, uh, you know, logical outgrowths of it. Uh, you know, layers mm-hmm. work pretty much like fiendish devices, only tweaked to, uh, you know, to fit with the idea that, oh, well, you know, they're not just going to evaporate when uh, someone, when the, the character dies. Uh, so, you know, it it's the sort of thing that there are some rules where you're like, okay, if this works, it's going to really expand how the game works. And if it doesn't function properly, it's going to blow up and you'll get, you know, crazy degenerate combos and everything falls apart. And so I could tell that these were in the first category where it's, you know, like, yeah, you know, that they're not doing anything that's out of the bounds of how it originally was conceived and described. It's just, a much easier, tidier, more convenient way of doing it instead of having to, uh, you know, completely contort the rules to fit what you want. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, the other, there's also, of course, the alternate character creation. Well, uh, ways to damn characters. Um, cause I know when that came up in the, um, during the original playtest campaign, there was one uh, combat where uh, my character got really beaten up, but I realized I wasn't going to be damned just because of the way the dice were working out. Um, so, uh, but they can't, you can't get the final blow into. Um, so. I, th- I think the, the weirdest yeah. things I added to the game, which again are not like pushing the envelope totally, are things I did to justify stories I wanted to tell. So, like, okay. Faustian packs are in there because I wanted to write uh, the fourth adventure. Um, the end is nigh, finally. Because uh, I, wanted, I wanted some way to cause like a big drastic change in the setting so you could get crazy superheroic stuff that. Uh, acted wildly across a, a large area. Um, and I, I wanted a way to do that that would not like overpower characters. So basically the way to do that is you give up your powers for the time being. Um, and that's what fuels that. And then uh, uh, I think Headless Headsman was originally a character from one of the examples of uh, the Better Angels book. Mm-hmm. Was it? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think he was Executioner Noir originally in in the playtest, uh, <laughs> and I didn't want to I didn't want to reuse stuff like that. So I'm like, okay, Executioner Noir, how do I do? Uh, uh, how do I do that? Okay, he cuts people's heads off, so I'll make his head a thing that cuts people's heads off. So I just went with scissor head, and I'm like, okay, there's nothing in the rule for getting scissors heads, so <laughs> I'm gonna add a rule for making your head a pair of scissors. Uh, yeah, I, so, I would have just done it as uh, horns. <laughs> oh, yeah, it could be a form of horns. That's good. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like it's just, uh, it just does extra damage, you know, and the rest <laughs> is chrome. Uh, yeah, so then I added other stuff in there, like, you know, arm gatling guns and, you know, your legs. Yeah. And the only th- the thing I really love about the, that aspect mechanic is that you get to decide what you get to decide what what kind of power it is, what kind of machine it is. But then your demon gets to decide what body part it replaces, uh, which has led to a lot of fun and play tests I've had. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. You oh, so you let your, the player. Yeah, you can have your demonic howitzer. Uh, it's on your left butt cheek. Um, yeah like so uh that but that's that's the weirdest stuff i added is like i had the idea of what i wanted the game to do first and then 
uh, I did the mechanic. And it's a it's a credit to Greg's rules that they're pretty easy to adapt for stuff like that because the powers are already sort of, uh, you know, interpret as you will, especially stuff like Dominator Strike and, and things like that. I think that's a really smart way to do superpowers without making some, you know, big honking system like, you know, Wild Talents or something. Uh <laughs> Define them by function, not by cosmetics. That's a really smart. Yeah, well, different um, yeah. people like different like it different ways. So yes, I mean, I love wild talents too. But having started to design my own RPG, I think you deserve like a medal or something. Anyone should get a medal for designing a big honking super game like that. <laughs> where you can build your own powers, because Jesus, this, whoo, that's some crunch. Uh, you know, wild wild talents was very much a group effort yeah so yeah i mean greg greg did the genius work with godlike and then so it was wild talents was was mainly me and dennis just sort of playing with what greg had come up with and kind of reverse engineering things and taking it apart so that if you wanted to if you wanted to play not with the big bricks, but with tiny little Legos that you could make into big bricks, then then that then here's your here's a way to do that. Yeah, uh, and, and yes, and that's really informed my own game design. Having written for Better Angels now, the 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 way the powers are done, like it's about its function. It's not about what it looks like. It, it you can say it looks like whatever you want. So I, I've interpreted that into my own game design. I think uh, which is hardly original for. to me. But yes, yeah. But uh, just something I'm, I was a learning experience uh, writing the game about education. So uh, that, that's something I learned from it. So now, like, if I do gear lists, I do, like, it's gun. It does gun things. What type of gun is it? I don't care. Yeah. You're a ray gun. It, you can gun porn it all you want. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you want to sort of – you need to kind of play to your – genre so to speak yeah. or to what the experience is that the game's trying to deliver so um a game that's primarily about moral choices you don't really need too much detail in or minutia in the physical stuff of the world right you don't need to try to replicate gun physics <laughs> or or know exactly <laughs> what caliber somebody's using necessarily and uh, um, another reason I like Better Angels so much is because it was kind of a return to the the dirty world rules, which I I absolutely love that game. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so uh, bringing that back and then like reskinning it to be every action, physical or spiritual or social, is all it, it's all a moral choice. Like everything you do is expressed in moralistic terms. I, I thought that was really mm -hmm. interesting. Which is well, kind I'm, of it's kind of a variant on on the way. Oh, what am I thinking on the on the way things like fate approach role playing, where um, yeah. or, or the uh, or the uh, there's been a couple of um, a couple of the like the Marvel heroic. No, it was Smallville that I adored. Where Smallville, when you play uh, the way that the 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 rules work, the way that characters do things, the impact your impact on the world, like how effective it is when you use your power, you use whatever skill. Um, the one of the main determinants on how effective you are is the strength of your relationship with the person you're dealing with, with the character you're dealing with. So when Clark Kent is 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 doing something on behalf of of Lana Lang, 
he's really effective because that's a powerful relationship. But if he's doing something on behalf of some total stranger, um, it's less effective. It's not totally ineffective because part of, part of Clark Kent's shtick in Smallville is he looks out for even total strangers. But um, but that but that's kind of got its own logic that's built around that genre of you're doing a you're sort of recreating a television show where the the narrative is driven by the logic of relationships, and so a dirty world and better angels sort of invert that, but they take a similar approach in that they're recreating the sort of it's a it's the genres about the the way that um, how how guilty you feel about what you're doing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. If that I makes had sense. not considered it, but you know, it is. You could make an argument that Better Angels in general is a noir game that is operating under the delusion of being a superhero game. It really <laughs> thinks it's a superhero. Yeah, you know, everyone involved thinks they're in a superhero mm-hmm. game, but no. It at the very in the basement, it's all film noir. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there was selling point or not. <laughs> well, I mean, we just talked about like the escalation of violence earlier of, uh, of conflict, how, you know, you, you mind controlled my son, I'm going to burn down your house and now you're going to try and kill me. I mean, that's actually a very noirish thing is that, you know, that, it, that, that sort of spiraling out of control, uh, as people, you know, get more and more dug into their decisions, um, without, you know, a clear good guy or good person right you know everyone's uh, uh shades of gray no one's no no one's totally in the right this is where uh, this is what happens when you have no creamy moral center <laughs> um so yeah uh that's uh, yeah one thing i also liked about dirty world and better angel is very kind of unique among rpgs in that the character attributes are not static at all i mean they're incredibly dynamic uh where your your character sheet is constantly changing as a result like in most games like you know, your hit points will go up or down and then maybe, you know, once every few sessions, all your numbers go up by one or two points as you raise a level or you gain skill points or whatever. Uh, but in this one, everything's in play at all times. Um, and it's it's an interesting dynamic. It kind of makes me uh, wonder if that that kind. But I haven't seen it in other games well, very often. So, I yeah. think what. Where that came from is that I wanted it to be well, and and I think the I think the reason that can work is that what change what drives the changes uh, all arise naturally from events, and that I wanted it to set it up that if you think your character is a staunch upright champion of justice but all you ever do is treat people very badly eventually you're not going to have be able to do good things because you've only taken malevolent actions all your you know your character has become focused on performing those malevolent actions and if that's you know how you play great but don't kid yourself you know, you you've created a monster, and you've created a very efficient monster. Uh, in uh, a dirty world, and in Better Angels, it's much harder to be a good, kind, decent, compassionate person than it is to be, uh, you know, a selfish, uh, 
horror upon the world who damages everyone he meets. But it is possible to continually shore up the good side of the character sheet and, you know, really strive to be better than what your circumstances would uh, would indicate. And so, you know, that's the other way that it works is that if you're constantly saying, no, I, I want to be this way, I'm going to readjust my character sheet to, you know, and, and explain why it is for my character that I'm willing to put away all this bad stuff and stop doing bad stuff and concentrate on doing good stuff, then you can. But you have to justify everything through character choices and through, you know, personality. It's not just, I want to get better at fighting because I want to be a better fighter. It's, I want to be more courageous because I'm ashamed of the, the way I've acted in the past. And it's very interesting, I think, that uh, – well, I mean, that led to uh, the Better Angels exploration of that. And then when Caleb saw it, it was, it was like, well, what, what's the first thing that pops in your head is education. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so I, what does that say about <laughs> you know? Like, what are you education? going to become? Are you going to become yeah. what you want to be or are yeah. you going to become what you are willing to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, uh, and I think that's kind of the major, some of the major themes of uh, No Soul Left Behind. It pops uh, up a lot in Unknown Armies too. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, certainly yeah. The adept behavior, you know, how how will far will you take your obsession to gain magical powers? Well, uh, I feel like a lot of games mechanically reinforce almost a video game mindset of morality, like. Is my character the guy who shoots and stabs everything, or am I not the guy that shoots and stabs everything? <laughs> or am I the righteous guy who only shoots and stabs the right things? Yeah, so yeah. Right. But like, you know, game is, if, if your game is mechanically primarily about shooting and stabbing things, then all then the entire moral axis is going to revolve around your approach to shooting and stabbing things. Yeah, uh, but like. But I really liked Better Angels and uh, Dirty World in that. And uh, speaking of Unknown Armies, Unknown Armies and the uh, the sort of sanity mechanics in that, I really like how those numbers on the sheet affect my role play. They don't affect, like, what kind of dice I'm going to try and use. My dice are there. If I want access to them, I need to role play to get to those dice. Uh, and that I think it makes for better drama at the at the table, and it's sort of a sort of a role playing challenge more, uh, and I think it makes a you know more interesting uh, kind of stuff. So, uh, so for instance, David's character was you know evil as heck, uh, <laughs> and completely without anything that might might give him insight to his own like nature. So just delusional about it, and he just played it to a T, and like made one of the more haunting characters we've ever had in a campaign. Cause he was Which just, one was he? Uh, he was the librarian that, uh, you know, gleefully murdered people and then just totally absolved himself or denied. Uh, the Capes Corvid on yeah. page 280 in the book. Uh, denied uh, all responsibility for that kind of stuff. And it, it was just, it was just sort of haunting. Like, uh, he, so he did awful things, but he always thought he was justified in doing them. Uh, and, you know, he 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 made like a much more haunting uh, villain by the end of the campaign than if he had been you know just smiley whiplash you know tying girls to train tracks because you know that mm. that's that's what he did you know uh, and so I really like that the game and any game that can sort of encourage that role playing mechanically and I feel like Better Angels really did that and the only thing I tried to add to that with No Soul Left Behind is that 
when we did play test of Better Angels initially, uh, the sort of karmic gamemanship uh, in the basic screw tape aesthetic, like, well, I did some bad things, so I better go do some good things to repent. Uh, I really wanted to uh, trace that to its logical conclusion. Uh, and so without being spoilery, I, I, you know, I wanted to show somebody who'd been doing that for oh, years. Yeah. And then the way that a demon might find to get around that. Uh, because the humans ultimately gain the knowledge of sort of the you know, checks and balances of the heaven-hell divide. Uh, and they start, you know playing the markets basically uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I just wanted to see how that eventually breaks down even if you're really good at it um, and so that was the basic crux and the idea of what starts the whole plot of the game I'm uh, feeling very bullish on patience these days <laughs> 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 yeah uh, uh, awesome um, well uh, No Soul Left Behind is out now, uh, finally available in print and PDF, uh, in both soft cover and hard cover, right? Uh, and it should be out for distribution too, as well. Um, uh, right, Shane? Uh, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's available through Indie Press Revolution. So, so okay. if you if you have if you want to get it from Restore, uh, or you have a uh, you know you have a friendly local game store that you're on good terms with, then tell them to uh, tell them to, to that they can buy it there. And uh, we're kind of we're kind of in between full fledged retail distributors right now, and um, and and I'm trying I'm having to kind of this is all sort of insidery publisher boring stuff, but yeah. okay, um, yeah. So so it's available it's available from Drive Through RPG and RPG Now, and you can buy it in in uh, <clears throat> two versions. They have sort of the standard version, and then they have a premium version that has thicker paper. So the the book is way more chunky on your shelf, um, but it's also a lot more pricey. Like the printing costs are yeah. uh, pretty huge on those. And uh, but you can get it from uh, from Amazon as well. The the, the the deluxe paperback version is available on Amazon, and you can get it from uh, from from Indie Press Revolution. Um, so uh, finally, before uh, we go, Caleb uh, and then uh, Greg, what? Well, first, Caleb, what is your advice for anybody who's thinking about running uh, uh, No Soul Left Behind? Anything that you've learned since the books come out that you wouldn't didn't manage to get in the book, uh, or from you know recent Gen Con games or anything like that? Uh, make sure you have like some cultural touchstones before you start the game. Like, make sure. <laughs> your group uh has watched you know venture brothers or the office or uh you know archer or something kind of like that uh so that they kind of know the you know uh darkly humorous tone they're getting into uh you know you don't want any of one in your character group to be like i'm gonna make a frank miller supervillain because <laughs> no please don't do that it's gonna be <laughs> super awkward and weird so make sure you kind of know you're going for this like darkly satirical dramedy uh when you guys get together and make characters uh and then just when you get into the first scenario you will get superpowers i promise uh it will not be instant but it part of learning the system is learning how you get superpowers so there's going to be a lot of failure because you only have half your dice but that's the point like why would you be tempted to use your demon if you could do everything by yourself uh so you can't but then you'll get your demon and everything will be fine meaning that you'll 
start your journey to hell. Uh, so, you'll get your demon and everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, just go along the first adventure. You're not going to play a human for very long, uh, but, but you will play a better supervillain if you know where you're, what your human's all about before you get your superpowers. And make sure that, you know, no one is trying to play, you know, a grim, dark game or a game where you're just all, you know, the Justice League or something like that. Uh, make sure they're on board with the tone of the book. So, uh, yeah, because it's about it's also but it, one thing is, you know, failure is OK in the game because it's not like, you know, you know, a, a typical role playing game like a D&D game where you have to save the princess every week or whatever. You really can't uh, die. You could yeah. only get damned. So uh, you, you yeah. can die, but I mean, you can. But it's yeah, it's an edge case. Uh, it's not like you hit. the. It's very hard. You're much I would say you're probably much more likely to be dragged to hell than it's... to just have your character die. Mm hmm. <laughs> well, that's cheerful. Well, oh well, that takes all kinds of concerns off my character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if that happens, that brings all the grim dark you could want when that scene comes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Greg, any any uh, uh, just overall advice for running better angels for people who are new to the system? Um, I would add BoJack Horseman to the list of things that are funny but also super duper dark. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, be aware that allow your character to develop uh, naturally and find where, you know, it, and it may also develop just from, you know, good or bad roles that you find that you have one swollen up tactic or strategy and, you know, play to that. Um, but, yeah, generally, if you can keep your character going long enough, their nature comes to the fore and you know they they will be able to do the things you've constantly been pursuing at least that's how the rules are are meant to work yeah all right uh well uh thank you all for uh, uh coming for this interview uh and uh go check out no soul left behind and then i'll have links up for the spared and the spoiled uh if you want to listen to our play test if you haven't already uh it's been ross with rppr uh talk to you guys next time thank you guys Thank you very much. It was a pleasure as always.